0: Hey folks, welcome to your basket is empty the space where I sit down with the world's most interesting people and direct to consumer. I'm your host, Tim. So we're back. <laughs> we're a little late, but we're back. This is series one of 2022. And I have the pleasure of sitting down with a select group of brands from across the D2C ecosystem to unpack how they're navigating what is turning out to be a pretty interesting and challenging consumer landscape. Before we get into it, I got a question for you. If you're buying something online, do you check the reviews? Of course you do, we all do. But what if the reviews are fake? That's exactly what happened to Toma Target in 2011 when he bought a camera based on shoddy reviews. He got stitched up with a bad product so decided to do something about it, launching Yotpo, our exclusive partner for this series. Yotpo makes it easy to get verified reviews from your customers and then display it on your e-commerce site and in your marketing, like social media ads. 10 reviews can uplift conversion by 53%, but 100 can more than double that. Yeah, that's big numbers. So if you're in e commerce and want more customers, check out Yotpo.com. That's Yotpo.com. Enjoy the episode. Hey, folks, welcome to the pod. On this episode, I'm speaking with Alex Faraday, co founder and CEO of Faraday. We're going to touch on growing up in New Jersey, running a business with your twin, navigating different sales channels, adapting to the current consumer landscape, maybe a quick fire quiz and a bunch more. Alex, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you yes. and where are you?
1: Yes. Uh, I'm great. I'm in lower Manhattan right now and uh, it's 11, 11 AM and I'm uh, pumped to do this.
0: Lovely. So I usually like to start by doing a little bit of a rewind. So I'm curious what it was like to grow up in New Jersey or Jersey Shore, right? Is it, is, is that the, the correct
1: yeah. sort of like geographical location? Yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. I think it's, uh, New Jersey is an interesting place, right? Because most of the world, especially the United States, they call it the armpit of America. So we get a bad rap because most people fly into New York airport and they kind of drive around there. And it's also the industrial leftover of New York city. So that's, that's what people think, but uh, it's not that. There's a little pocket that's like that. The rest of the state's amazing. And I think what a lot of people don't realize uh, and this is a, a fact. New Jersey has the longest contiguous coastline where people can actually use the ocean in the United States. Wow! So uh, huge beach, huge beaches, huge beach culture. Um, yeah. So I grew up about five hundred yards from the Atlantic Ocean, which uh, which was amazing. And small town. We have about three thousand people in my hometown. Uh, no traffic lights. Uh, it was ideal it was awesome
0: so you and mike had this idea of starting something but i'm always curious to learn specifically in your case like when was it you were like okay i'm gonna actually do this was it an organic process was there like a key moment where you were like because you're in like the finance pa world right before you were like all right i'm over with this i'm in or was it yeah you know, a little bit I, got, I think longer? i gotta
1: go back i'll go back in time a little bit because i think that helps helps frame that answer. So. Uh, since we were really little, Mike always dressed me. It's kind of like Alex was, like, was the one that no style couldn't put anything together. Like I just wore sweat, like maroon sweatpants, unless Mike told me what to wear. So Mike, like from an early age, loved clothes, like back to school shopping was a big deal for him. Like we used to have to go from like mall to mall to find the right Nikes. You know, he just, you know, he just was born with that. And, uh, so yeah so that was like from an early age and then um in high school his senior year when it was like okay we got to write a senior essay he actually wrote his senior essay to get into college on faraday so since that that was high senior year of high school since then it was like we're going to do this together um you know because like our relationship as twins like kind of like i kind of was like a little bit the older brother helped look out for him he was definitely like more fun loving and got himself into shit. And, um, yeah, so I think it was like, we're going to do this together. He's the, you know, he's the creative art one. I'm kind of more the business one. I always had a, I always had a bunch of jobs growing up. And, um, so then Mike worked at Ralph, I was working in finance and PE. And then we started talking more about it, spending more time. Like, when are we going to do this? But until you actually do it, you don't know. And it was, uh, we had, uh, we were at a bachelor party in Vegas. It was like day four the Sunday night when everyone has the scaries and, uh, we like both just didn't wanna go back to work. And he was like, we started doing like, I think it's time. Like, I think this is it. And he ended up not going to work the next day and like staying in SoCal, driving to the desert. And then he called me a couple of days later and was like, all right, we're gonna do this. And, uh, and then he, you know, next week told his boss um, that he was gonna leave Ralph Lauren. Wow. And then, so, okay, how long was it before you had the same uh, so that that was the idea. end. That was the end. That was the end of 2011. He spent all of 2012 working on it. I, he had a little. We, we had a little studio in Union Square that he just started on product development, branding, concept. Uh, so I was kind of helping out after work and on the weekends. And then uh, at the end of March of 2013 was when I kind of officially quit my job, and uh, we launched the business a couple of weeks later. Nice. So
0: I know there's plenty of literature on you guys, given the unique nature being twins. So I don't want to explore it too much because I assume you're probably sick of answering these questions. So, but I am interested on like, what's the best thing with working white and what's the worst?
1: So the best thing is that uh, we're wired outside of sort of the creativity piece. Like I see everything sort of in like geo and linearly and analytically, and he sees everything more creatively. So like the brains are a little bit, different but uh we actually have the same style of uh like managing issues and problems and dealing with stress like it's very similar like we're on the same page like when something comes up it's like what do you think and it's like we're usually thinking the same thing like mo- so many times i'll say something but i was thinking the same thing so there's definitely like some same stuff happening that makes uh you know, it's like an ideal business partner because we're, we're on the same page. Like we see things in a similar way.
0: And does that ever cause any challenges? So I'm thinking like, how do you
1: avoid an echo chamber and stuff like that? Yeah. So I think the the challenges of that are um, right. Like in this business, there's the creative piece of it and then there's the business piece of it. And I think like where the problem comes in is like, we have a lot of trust in each other and you know, uh, he, I let him do his thing. He lets me do his, do my thing. And there's probably some, some of that, like we don't do a great job of holding each other accountable all the time because it's like, all right, you got this, I got this and yep. we are gonna, yep. And then we, we, when we started uh, a couple of weeks, a couple, like kind of as we started, we also brought my mom and my wife and his business partners too. So that adds a level of complexity too. So it's not just Mike and I, it's Carrie, my wife and my mom. So, um, Yeah, we hadn't made we didn't make it easy on ourselves, but we made it fulfilling. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting. Well, I want to explore the business side in a little bit more depth. So I know you guys are kind of split across, you know, different sales channels. You got direct consumer, you got wholesale and retail. I suppose I'm intrigued or interested in like how do you find the right balance and how has it kind of changed post COVID during COVID? You know, how are things looking at the moment in terms of those channels? So.
1: when we when we wrote the initial business plan in 2012 and 13 you know we studied kind of people who have done it before us you know the ralph Lawrence of the world the Mm. european you know the european family brands of the world and it was all even in 2000 you know 2012 2011 it was all like people always led with brick and mortar retail like that's how brands were built over time and then obviously we grew up kind of in the early stages of the e-commerce revolution so when we launched e-commerce was you know a, a big deal for us um but what we f- quickly found out was you know we definitely went at our our business plan of being like a brand product focused um and you know a little bit on the designer side a little bit on like the accessible luxury side and and mm-hmm. there's a you know there's a how do you how do you Get your your product if you think it's the product that's going to win, um, and not necessarily like the price point that's going to win. Like, how do you get that in front of people to get them excited about the product? And we felt like for us, people had to feel the product, had to see the yep. product. Um, and so we we sort of quickly pivoted, and I would say necessarily pivoted. We 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 saw some early success in wholesale. Um, so we decided to launch e-commerce. We had a mobile a mobile store that we had, and our website was sort of our first year. And then about six months in, we decided to do all the wholesale markets that summer um, for for this next spring season. And, you know, Mike put a little line together and we just got a a really good first reception from retailers. And I think started kind of like falling in love with like being in some of these awesome, well-renowned stores and seeing our product there and seeing how that got people excited about the brand. Um, And so we launched, we first launched with, with Barney's and Nordstrom's as like two department store partners. And yeah. then we did a, we did a shop and shop with Fred Siegel in LA. Um, and then we, we launched with the Japanese in a big way, which was super cool. Um, and Hosa was just cool. Like we had fun with it. We traveled the world. Uh, and we actually kind of e-commerce kind of took a backseat, um, for a couple of years. Cause I think we were just having fun playing with some of the big boys in retail yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah. and seeing some success with it. And then, um, you know, we started running into just some of the frustrations and, you know, there's, there's some limitations to how you can grow your wholesale businesses in someone else's control. Um, and then we sort of pivoted in 2015 to really move back to a, a DTC focused business. And, uh, and that's what we've been doing ever since.
0: Yeah. Nice. So uh, I'm curious, you touched on some interesting concepts there about like the sort of product, the price point, how it all kind of fits into the mix of like consumer preferences now. What does your ideal kind of customer look like, and has that kind of changed over time? And how do you guys build a relationship with them?
1: Yeah, so I don't really think we think of it as a, there being an ideal customer. Um, we think of it as uh, you know where's our customer going to shop, and uh, and where where is their ability to get eyeballs on your brand? So. Yeah. Um. You know, we're now. I think our initial business plan was about forty percent e com thirty percent retail, and sort of twenty-five to thirty percent wholesale. And ten years later, we're at, that's where we are today. Um, so I think it was just around discipline around like this is where we want our sales channels to be. We think it's the healthiest way to to diversify business, and and let's just stay focused on building out each of the channels to that to that sort of level over time.
0: And have you noticed? I mean, the the splits. Are an interesting snapshot there, but have you noticed any changes in those kind of consumer behaviors? Have you noticed people as they've grown up with you as a brand like shift to different channels or have you noticed that as you guys have grown up, people are engaging you in a different way or alternatively like newer customers who are younger engaging you in a different way?
1: I think having, having retail, physical retail has allowed us to sort of really build Uh, like really strong loyalty with, you know, some, some amazing customers. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when we, I don't think we realized the, um, you know, how do you really get a customer like in on a brand with all the noise that's out there until Mm -hmm. we had physical, until we had physical retail. So I think before we had physical retail, we were a little bit more of an item focused business. So like, you know, we started with bathing suits. That was the first product we had. And for the first year, we basically only sold bathing suits. Um, you know, and I think as we like evolved the business and, and retail became a bigger part of it, we started seeing like the ability to like move into categories and how do you own that shopper when they're, with you know, when they're ready to shop. And uh, that, I think that was really helpful in helping us build out our product catalog. Um, you know, financially, there's, you know, some give and take to you better off financially just being a you know, more of a one trick pony and really owning that. And I think from my, from an e-commerce perspective, you probably are better off being more focused. Um, so you can really like when a customer goes to your website, like they know what to buy, it's simple. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that was just never as exciting to us as that experience of like, can, can you really win across categories yeah. and, uh, and create great product across, you know, as many categories as you can. And that's kind of what we've been leading into the last, uh, you know, the last four or five years.
0: And when you say loyalty, are you talking about like loyalty strategies, or just
1: building loyalty within great product? You know, great. Yeah, th- I experience? think of, I think yeah, I think of it as cl- like closet share, right? Like, um, you know, it's one thing to, you know, if you can if you can gain a customer's trust such that everything in his closet, or, or not everything, but like he's got pants, yep. he's got shirts, yep. he's got knits, he's got hoodie, and it's and there's variety kind of across all that. Like, he's wearing you all the time. So there's something about like. This is my, like, when I wear fairy, like, the, everything I have in my closet, like, my fairy sauce is my favorite. And yeah. that's where they like, could get word of mouth. That's where people get excited about talking about the brand. That's when people are like, dude, you know, you, that's where, like, the buzz starts happening a little bit more than if it's just, like, one thing. Um, it's kind of what we found. And uh, and that's what we're on the quest of, like, every product. How can we make the best version of that that's in the market?
0: Yeah, that's super interesting because I think that there is a, um, a tendency to assume... That just introducing a loyalty program will kind of build that sort of thing. And I think it can help it, but I think there needs to be an underlying kind of relationship built with the customer that means that the loyalty program is kind of an added bonus on top. They should be telling their mates about the product anyway, right? Like, that's like really good, true loyalty. And then if you can oh, add in yeah. referral points and all that stuff, that's great. But it's like, you kind of, it's a bit of a chicken and egg. And it's interesting. I talked to a lot of people about that, but. I, I'm curious about, like, I suppose expanding that concept a bit in terms of like acquisition and retention. Like, how has that changed from when you know you guys started out compared to now? Is it easier? Is it harder? Like, what are your general thoughts?
1: Um, so I think there's, there's, uh, all right. So we're nine years in. So I'll give you kind of like the where I feel today, where where we where things are kind of shaking out is. Um, you know, financially, to acquire customers, got more expensive every year, like from a digital perspective, for sure. So, um, we've been able to mitigate that because as you build your brand awareness and more people have heard about you, right? Like, you have a better chance of them clicking or looking for more because there's some level of resonance that they have in their mind. Oh, yeah, yeah. someone was talking about Faraday, or oh, I yeah. saw that somewhere else, or I saw that in Orchard when I was walking by, like, let me go learn more about it. So, Think as you build your brand awareness, even though the general economics of CPMs have gotten more expensive across digital, like we are able to mitigate that by um, you know, conversion rate, right? Being being slightly better every year yeah, yeah, as yeah. as we build our build our brand awareness. And I think too, as you build out like your product catalog, um, you know, more shots on gold, more more products that you might be able to, you know, get someone excited about. And I think we've learned over the last three years, like diversity has been helpful in that. Um, you know, like during COVID, you know, we were selling a lot of X, right. And now two and a half years later, as the world's opening up, like we're selling a lot of Y
0: and it's just us
1: being nim. It's just being us nimble with, okay, we've got this big product catalog. Like how do we lean into this because we feel this trend's happening. And then how do we lean into that trend? So just being like nimble from a merchandising perspective to, to, to give the customer what, what they want, when they want it. Um and that helps manage some of the, you know, the economics of acquisition. And like, for example, you know, we, we've, we've got some, we've got this knit blazer. So it's like a sweatshirt type feel. Like it's kind of like a cardigan slash blazer. It's not too formal. It's not too relaxed. It's been a, it's been a home run item for us because like people like, Oh shit, I need a blazer now for work, but like, I don't want to wear, I don't want to wear like, I'm so haven't worn anything, you know, formal in so long. Like what's like the high, what's a, baby steps into wearing a blazer. Yeah. Um, yeah you know, yeah. as an as an example. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Definitely.
1: Whereas like, you know, in COVID, we couldn't give that away because no one wanted anything that was, <laughs> you know, we just yeah. wanted sweatshirts. People just wanted sweatshirts and t-shirts. Yeah, and- yeah,
0: exactly. I imagine though there may have been some uh like gains if you had, you know, shirt and tie on top and then the board shorts on the bottom. You know?
1: So yeah. You know,
0: so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Uh well yeah. So it it you guys, I thought this was quite interesting, which is not something I see in loads of brands. Is that you you guys feature in the content quite heavily? So you guys yourselves are in there. And like I'm curious, like, was that an organic thing? Is it just because you like the product or was it something that you thought customers it like resonates with them and you sort of leaned into it? I'm curious how that kind of came about.
1: Uh I think yeah, probably a little bit of both. Like in the beginning, we we didn't want to spend money on models and so we did most of the shoots and you know, we did most of the content just from a ease of execution perspective. Uh, And so then like fast forward nine years where we, we, you know, we can probably afford more than we could then. Um, I think a lot of it is just uh, feedback from our customers and I don't know, it's like looking at what's in the market and, and how do you create trust with your customer and uh, you know, if, you know, there's not many brands in the last 10 years that have like put their name on it. Like Mm. people used to do, you know, for like hundreds of years, it was just like people put their name on it. People would earn, they would earn customers trust because they would try really hard and make great stuff. And, you know, we kind of morphed into a little bit more of like what's the great business model of of e-commerce and a little bit away from like, what's the business model of like creating, you know, great product and long lasting brand. And so, um, you know, there's, I think we kind of think of it as how do we differentiate ourselves? And, you know, if, if people are like, Oh, the fairies are like wearing the clothes and they're living kind of like the lifestyle that the brand Mm -hmm. tries to portray, like, Oh, that's cool. Like that's sort of, that's real. Like, that's not just someone trying to make it up. And a lot of the brand is like us and what we're feeling and what we're into and, you know, how, how we're evolving as people. And, uh, and I think we've just felt like that's feels more authentic to us to to be a part of the brand in a in a deeper way than hiring a model to do it. Um, so yeah, sort of a long winded answer to that question. <laughs> no, it's
0: cool. I, I like the idea. It was like necessity, but then it's actually turned into something <laughs> that's like quite an authentic and original sort of USP. So I'm keen, like sort of over the sort of like the nine years, the 10 years, however long, you know, you look at the very start and where you are now, like have there been any like key inflection points where you've seen something interesting? Was it a key hire, a key moment, a key thing where like, oh shit, that's something that we didn't expect and it was really good?
1: Yeah, so we, uh, one of the first things we really spent money on from an acquisition perspective outside of just some small scale digital, digital marketing was a print catalog. So we launched in spring of spring of 2013 and in, in holiday 2015. So about two years, you know, two and a half years after we started, we did our first print catalog. And I remember we, we like, we spent some time thinking about it and it was a time when like mailboxes got really empty, like J crew stopped doing a mailbox stuff, mm-hmm. doing catalogs. Like there just wasn't much in the mail. And we kind of were like, you know, our brands, it was always pretty visual. It's always kind of like our, our lifestyle that we, that we were trying to like our lifestyle we trying to pull into the brand. And we just sort of felt like digital wasn't able to capture that um in the way that print could. And uh and so yeah, we we did our first print catalog early on and and we were like just shocked that people were actually ordering. And I remember, we just remember like, oh, like this is amazing. Like. This is working. And uh, and we ended up really, really doing a bunch of catalogs uh, from then on. And it's become a big, big kind of brand marketing channel for us. And uh, yeah, that was like awesome. And the second thing was uh, at the end of 2000, sort of mid end of 2016, we sort of opened up our re- first real retail store. Um, growing up, my dad worked in California and we'd always go out surfing there every spring. And we'd love Malibu. Like, that was just like this awesome, amazing place that we're like, they would be so sick to have a store there. And I'd been working on, uh, you know, met the landlord and we were able to secure a space that we opened up in the Malibu country Mart, which is like this super cool outdoor little neighborhood shopping area. And, uh, and we opened up the store Rent's super high, super, you know, lot of stress going into it and the store ended up like out of, out of the, you know, out of the gate, just having really nice business. And I yeah, think nice. that was like, wow, like we can kind of compete with some of these bigger national brands on a bigger stage. And it seems like people are digging the product. So, um, that really got us excited about retail, the, you know, the catalog got us excited about kind of acquisition and, and we've just been kind of, you know, learning from there since.
0: We kind of touched on it at the very outset of the conversation. Uh, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but I am intrigued about what you're seeing on the ground, given the kind of current sort of macro climate. Are you seeing changes in consumer behavior? I mean, my take is that there's two, obviously, there is (laughs) inflationary pressures, cost of living, et cetera, et cetera potential recession on the horizon, central banks trying their hardest to pull back on inflation, which feels like it's just impossible to pull back on. But the media seem to be incredibly uh, apocalyptic. (laughs) Whereas when I talk to people on the ground, it it doesn't seem as bad. And I'm not sure if that's like a sort of a a glass half full, things are okay now. And it's sort of, holy shit, we're going off a cliff at the end of the year, or it's actually sort of okay. And it's like pockets of things across the economy are going to be challenging and others might be okay how are you looking at it
1: uh so i think like everyone like once the you know once the market started turning you know you start reading the news too much so i think i've tried to pull back on pull back on that and you know i think as i've like reflected on you know going from in january like this this year is going to be amazing like let's let's giddy up it's you know to like okay let's reassess what our you know what our forecast was for the year and you know our Growth into 23. Um, I've sort of been like, all right, the last three years have just been a, a mess all over the place, like between shutdowns and opening and shutdowns, mm-hmm. like, you know, it was a tricky, tricky world. Like, and so now it's like no different than that. It's like, all right, we gotta be nimble, yeah. we gotta adjust when we can, we gotta be flexible. And, you know, so you know, obviously as the, as rates are going up and, and, you know, you're going to see some pullback in consumer spending, you're going to see some, you know, people lose their jobs. Like, okay, let's pull back our forecast a little bit. Let's, you know, fine tune our hiring plan. Let's fine tune our marketing plan. And, you know, let's be a little bit more conservative and that's okay. And so, you know, I think the team's just now over the last three, four, it's just comfortable uh, I think everyone was like, "Oh, this is gonna be great." We're there. And then now it's like, "Okay, we gotta kind of go back to what the last two <laughs> years was, which is like things changing all the time, and and that's fine. I think we're all COVID learned ha- helped us all get comfortable, you know, living in ambiguity, yeah. And uh, and that's kind of where we are now, and and that's okay. And all we can do is the best we can, you know, executing every day and having a great plan. And um, you know, I think for us, you know, we we have a you know pretty affluent customer, which which will help. Um, and we didn't, you know, we, we didn't get a real bump from stimulus like other brands did. So, you know, there's not as though we're up against a stimulus bump, like a lot of the bigger retailers are. So I think smaller retailers that are, you know, have dedicated customer bases that are selling quality, you know, I think we're going to be fine. And, uh, but we're, you know, got to be flexible and make sure we're paying attention to what's, what's happening next.
0: Yeah, totally. I think that's an interesting point about like, it feels <laughs> when I was doing podcasts last year, the inevitable question was like, Oh, how, how's things going with COVID? What are you seeing? <laughs> you know? And then there was a general sense of like, okay, well, this is going to come to an end <clears throat> at some point. And you remember there was like a big thing. There it was like the roaring twenties that was sort of seeping into the media, like those uh, sort of examples. So I, I agree. I think like if you can survive that and then the next sort of 18 months, that makes one a relatively resilient individual and company, which probably put you in good stead for the, the next five years um what about web3 and its application in e i'm curious to get your take is it something you guys think about is it something you just totally ignore do you dabble how are
1: you kind of going about it uh i think we we read about it we talk about it but we're waiting we're waiting to see you know i don't think we need to be a first mover in web three our customers not really asking for it um you know some market research we've read doesn't seem like you know people are asking for it at least our customers so uh we're watching paying attention learning and us you know when the time is right if it's right you know we'll, we'll do something but we're on the sidelines right now
0: yeah um another development which i've seen is probably a little bit more um uh relatable was the amazon buy button now i presume yeah the sort of client base you guys have got is maybe not something that you're going to be entertaining but i'm curious what you think about it more broadly so i don't believe there's been any suggestion from shopify that they're going to allow it within their platform but what do you think about it for a brand who's maybe within the amazon world and
1: then has got a direct consumer presence you mean the amazon buy button to to on our specific website yeah yeah so 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 having amazon fulfill fulfill the product for you
0: they can do it for you you can fulfill it themselves but like yeah so they've rolled it out i think big commerce have um embraced it (laughs) there's been a bunch of other platforms that have embraced it but shopify and amazon are kind of at loggerheads at the moment as to whether it's gonna sort of like be introduced into their
1: platform yeah i I think you know amazon's a uh Amazon is obviously a beast and it's meaningful to any brand's customer base. Um, but we definitely like haven't leaned into Amazon yet. So like we don't really have our presence through Amazon is just through wholesale partners. So uh, we work with Eastane and Shopbop, mm-hmm. um, and and Zappos from a wholesale perspective. And so they then feed the products into Amazon, but we don't, we don't have our own, you know, one P or three P, uh, strategy directly with Amazon. Um, because I think it's still like our, you know, we want to lead with our website, we want to lead with our stores and we want to lead with our key wholesale partners. And, you know, I think Amazon is there at some point when we feel like we need it or are ready for it. Um, but we got enough, you know, I think we got enough, enough customers to, manage and handle just in our own kind of managing the business ourselves, And I think it's also product wise, like, you know, we're not selling a commodity. We're not selling something that you kind of need every day. Yeah. So, you know, a little bit more of a, of a, of a nuanced sales process we have. So it's probably another reason why we were a little bit, you know, delayed on how we think about Amazon.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, I think it was, um, dude from shopify kind of suggested that you know like amazon's go is where you go when you you have a, a need and then shopify is where you want but i thought it was interesting i spoke to someone the other day actually someone else on the podcast and they sort of suggested like the amazon buy button coming into your experience within the direct consumer world is great theoretically for the customer because you know you've got all your details there super quick checkout but they sort of said their brand is now in your brand, like in there, you know, like at the wherever it would be, product page, checkout, whatever. Uh and I know you got Amazon Pay, but it's it's a slightly different beast. It just seems a bit, I think that tentacle is a bit too too close for home. I'm not sure how it's going to play out in the kind of the traditional direct consumer space.
1: Yeah, it's a good point, as far as like having Amazon there, you know, at the same time, you know, the amount of money that's been invested into e-commerce tech to help, you know, a small brand scale their e-commerce operations, you know, from Shopify to all the different plugins. It's just insane mm. um, to make the experience pretty damn easy. Uh, you know, ShopPay is a great, a great tool. Um, we get a ton of adoption and usage on Pay, Apple Pay, just kind of at our checkout. So, uh, you know, I think if you're talking five years ago, that Amazon Shop button could have been pretty amazing as, you know, before this tech had been Kind of created, but now it's sort of like you know we can kind of do almost almost all that Amazon can do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe maybe not the kind of fulfillment timing ease, but I think for some products like our customer doesn't ask for it any faster than you know three to four days. So you know it's not that we need same day or next day delivery. Yeah, uh, our customer's yeah. not really asking for it. Yeah. Um...
0: Yeah, I'm surprised at how many people don't adopt Shop Pay, and it might be a UK thing. But I just think it's such a no-brainer. If you've got a Shopify store, it's like the ease of use. I actually use it as a discovery channel, like because I've ordered so much stuff through it. Obviously, I'm biased because I kind of understand and in the e-com world. But like, I use it to to purchase things that I've already purchased before, and then its discovery sort of engine isn't too bad as well. So it's like, yeah, absolute no-brainer. What's next for you guys? What is the like three, five year kind of like
1: direction of travel look like? Uh, so we, we definitely use COVID as an opportunity to, to build out our retail, our physical retail business, Um, you know, saw the opportunity of people leaving great spaces and rents coming down. So we, uh, we now have 39 retail stores. We had 13 before COVID. So that's been really fun to open up a new markets and, and expand. Um, so we'll keep, you know, we'll keep doing that, which has been, which has been really, really fulfilling so far. Um, you know, which, as I said, like we make lots of products, we do all genders. So, um, you know, we've, we've built that over the last couple of years, a much bigger women's business. Um, and that's been awesome to do. And so we'll continue to, to do that. Uh, and as long as you continue to great, you know, create, great men's stuff. And then we're, you know, we're starting to yeah, you know, we have this event series called Sun Sessions that we've been doing. And, and I think we really want to build that out in a bigger way. Um, do more concerts. We're working on some hospitality projects, uh cool. which will be fun. So we're uh, you know, kind of moving a little bit more into how do you uh, integrate retail with food and and hospitality. So you'll definitely see some of that from us, uh, which is I think it's a fun. New, new change challenge. It's not necessarily we're going to spend a lot of time and resources on, but I think it's, it's where they, I think it's where things are moving more and more. And I think they're moving out of, you know, they're moving into neighborhoods. They're moving into, you know, local, I think locals coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. People want more intimate experiences with their brands. So we're trying to, trying to really work through that, which will be fun. And then uh, we're going international and uh, that'll happen over the next year or two. And, uh, and that's going to be great. So we're going to make it to, to Oz next year. Um, we'll be showing up in wholesale and then we'll build the business from there, uh, Canada and then Europe after that. So yeah, you know, this business is awesome. There's so many different ways. Once you have the brand that you can mm. tr- try new things, try new markets, uh, try new product. So, uh, you know, I wake up every day, like, you know, It's just like the intellectual curiosity just never stops. So uh, we're having a blast. It's been nine. Hopefully this we can do this for another 50. (laughs) I love the
0: food idea. I think that's right. That's a super interesting like collaboration or whatever you guys are thinking about in terms of that, like intimacy and everyone loves to eat most of the time. (laughs) So it's like, that's a, that's a very, very interesting move. Uh, All right. I'm going to round it out with that quick fire surf quiz. So I'm just gonna shoot you the questions. You go tell on. me the answer, okay? So this one might be a little bit too specific. Now you to remember, I'm from Australia and I was a skate rat, not a surf rat. But there was enough crossover. So first question, and I can change it up. I've got another one if this one doesn't land. Hot tuna, rusty, or mambo?
1: Rusty, hundred <laughs> percent,
0: dude. I had a rusty, rusty uh, hoodie for like. 12 years, uh, I had rusty like, I
1: had, a, I had a rusty, like one of my first favorite surfboards was rusty. Nice,
0: totally. nice, nice. Okay. Uh, next question Slater or fanning. Oh, you can add in a third, if you want, you can, you can, you can override. Uh, I would
1: say fanning. I was in, I was in, uh, I surfed in Uluwatu right before this, uh, one of the search, the rip curl search and, and Manning was, was out and. This the the, the current Uluwatus is in uh in Bali is crazy and I was like just not going anywhere and man, Fanning was just like his paddle was just insane and he was just like lapping me every time and so uh that dude is a beast.
0: Fanning. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Goofy or regular? Uh, regular.
0: Nice short or longboard? Short. Spring suit or steamer?
1: Uh, I mean, I, Jersey is like steamer, but. Uh, spring suits where
0: I want to be nice okay final one pipeline mavericks or chopu chopu there we go Uh, Alex I think that's a great way to end the podcast mate thanks so much for joining me
1: all right Tim thanks bud
0: There you go. Massive thank you for joining us. Before I go, a quick word from my sponsor, Yotpo, the leading e-commerce marketing platform to increase customer engagement, promote community advocacy, and improve retention. If you want to learn more, go visit them at yotpo.com slash your basket is empty. And as always, if you like the episode, please leave a review, subscribe, download, and tell all your mates to do exactly the same. I'll see you next time.
1: With